Well, good morning, Oakwood. And welcome to the first part of a series that is called Inside the Lines. Inside the Lines. Uh, This morning, uh, this is part one. I'm entitled this morning's message, Avoidable Regret. Avoidable Regret. Um, Our passage this morning is going to be found in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. So I want to invite you to uh, begin turning there this morning. You know, it's getting into the, the fall season of the year. I love fall. Of course, I, I love winter even more. Um, it's getting in that season where, you know, you're thinking about having, going outside and you can have a, you know, like a bonfire at your place and have some people over. Uh, we uh, have had, had, had an Eagle Scout build a bonfire pit right over here outside of our facility over by the uh, sand volleyball court. And that's for uh, use for whoever wants to go out there. And, you know, one, one thing that's interesting about when you build something like that, though, you build something that contains the fire, right? Because, you want some boundaries on the fire. You want some guidelines on the fire. Because if the fire gets out of where it's supposed to be, bad things can happen. I looked up on a website this week and thought it was really, really interesting. Um, there's a website that shows you all of the wildfires that are going on in the United States right now. And I couldn't even guess. I was thinking, oh, it's probably like 10 or something. There are over 70 wildfires burning in the U.S. right now. You can go to this website and it shows you all the different places. Most of them are in the uh, western part of the United States, especially in the northwestern part. Idaho has, I don't know, like 30 wildfires going in it right now. It's funny, if you look at the map, there's like one in Tennessee. And then over here, it's just like all these little orange flames everywhere. Uh, but, but what those represent is something where the fire got out of the guidelines. It got out of the lines. It, it got out of the parameters. It got out of the boundaries. Whether that be uh, somebody being sloppy and just, you know, flipping a cigarette butt on the side of the road that started a wildfire or, 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 it's, or a campfire that wasn't put out properly. You know, I'd, I'd heard that an ember from a fire could travel up to like a mile or two in the air and still stay, stay lit. And so we don't know exactly how it happens, but we build a fire pit because we want it to stay contained. When it's contained, we can enjoy it. We can enjoy the heat. We can enjoy what it represents. We can enjoy the sights and smells, and it can cook our s'mores for us. But when we get out of sight of that, there's some danger involved. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series as we're talking about being inside the lines over the next few weeks. Because many people have this distorted view of God and His boundaries or His guidelines for their life. They feel like God is out to rob us of joy in our life. And that's why He gives us these parameters. But actually, it couldn't be anything further from the truth. God gives us these boundaries so that we can have a joyful life. We're going to be looking at that from a lot of different angles over the next few weeks. We need to understand this morning that God is the author of joy. There is a reason that God sets boundaries on our lives. There is a reason that we need to keep fire within the boundaries. You know, those boundaries or guidelines are not meant to hurt us. They're actually there to help us. They're designed to give us a good life. And when we see life from God's perspective, we realize He is our Heavenly Father and He desires what is best for us. Now, as we go through life in this sin-fallen world, we understand that some good things are going to happen, some bad things are going to happen in our lives. Some of those bad things we can't avoid. It's just some bad things happen sometimes. We just have to lean into God even more to get through those times. But we're going to be talking about guidelines and boundaries in our life that God puts in place that He established to save us from danger, to save us from pain, to save us from heartache, because some of our heartache and pain and, and the danger we face in life, it is avoidable. It is avoidable. 
You know, some of your greatest regrets in life could have been avoided if what? If you had established God's boundaries in your life. If you allowed His Word and His guidelines that He gives us to guide you relationally for some of you. For some of you financially, if you'd, if you'd operated by God's standards financially. For some of you physically. For some of you professionally. For some of you just morally or ethically. For some of you in your marriage. These lines that we're going to be talking about in this series are God's guidelines. His guidelines are standards of behavior that should become matters of conviction in a believer's life. Standards of behavior that God gives us that should become matters of conviction. These are the places that we stand for in our life. And in His Word, He gives us many, many guidelines. And those guidelines He gives us give us the best life because they protect us. And a lot of times they protect us from the consequences of sin. All we have to do is stay inside the lines. Now, at its core, our world is conscious of the need for guidelines. We have guidelines and rules and parameters set all over, all over the place. You have heard me talk about some of the silly ones that we have before, like, you know, keeping kids in car seats till they're, you know, like, 15 years old. You know, I just think that's a little bit silly. You know, making them wear, make them wear a helmet, you know, everywhere they go. You know, I was watching a guy walking down the street the other day in a helmet, and I thought he's probably protecting himself from... I don't know, hail or, you know. But, but in, when it comes to moral boundaries, let's all acknowledge that our society does have some moral boundaries that they put in place. It's just that those boundaries tend to be a little bit lower than God's standards because they're only based on human thought and opinion. The challenge for all of us is to know that culture doesn't promote guidelines to God's standard, and that God's standard is always going to be the best way. So let's look at a few of these real quick. The first one is, let's say alcohol. If you, if you throw out the word alcohol and you went by the culture standards, their slogan, their motto, and you've probably heard on commercials or seen it in print somewhere, their, their motto is drink responsibly when it comes to alcohol. Those are, that's their motto. Drink, you know, please remember, drink respons responsibly. What does that mean exactly? You see, God's standard is do not be under the influence of alcohol. You see the difference? God's standard versus the world's standard. World's standard, when it comes to, to sex, it's the, the, you probably read this in a campaign or on a slogan somewhere. It says, wait until you're ready. Wait until you're ready for what? I mean, some people feel like they're born ready. I mean, what, what does that mean exactly? Wait until you're ready. God's standard says, wait until you're married. And to, you have a commitment to one person for the rest of your life. And then you can introduce sex. What about money? What about when it comes to money in your life? Well, the world would say, and you've seen this slogan advertised everywhere, consolidate your debts. Consolidate your debts. Where God's standard is work hard to completely get out of debt so that you don't owe anything to anyone. You see the difference? Our culture does believe that parameters and guidelines and rules are good to have in place. But culture says it's too restrictive. That God is, makes it too restrictive. That some of God's standards are just too confining. But we find out that God actually has the best for us in mind. I would say that guidelines and boundaries are the problem. With, some would say that guidelines and boundaries are the problem with religion. Or the problem with churches nowadays. They would say that they're restrictive and they don't allow me to live my life the way I want to and how I want to. But I would say to them, to them, if you have things going exactly like you want, when you want and how you want, how's that working out for you? Is it providing your best life, the life that God intended you to have? Does it give you a life of joy or does it give you a life of pain and sorrow? 
Some people might say, yeah, well, my life, you know, outside the lines, outside the parameters, you know, it's okay. I can manage the consequences decently. But most people would say, you know what? I don't like it. There's something missing in my life. Well, what many of us don't realize until it's far too late is that God wants to establish these things in our lives because he doesn't want us to have consequences. He doesn't want us to have, to have uh, things that we're going through in our life that could be avoided. And plus, he wants us to do things that really matter. He wants us to have fulfillment and to have joy. Here's the bottom line this morning I want you to understand. God uses guidelines and boundaries to direct and protect his children. God uses the guidelines and the boundaries that he gives us in Scripture to direct and protect his children. Remember those two things. He directs and he protects. He directs and he protects. Why all of this? Why are we doing this? Okay, It's in the Bible. From Old Testament to New Testament. doesn't matter really which part you read. God wants us for our lives because he loves us. He is our heavenly father. Good fathers want to keep their children out of harm's way. The easiest way to illustrate that is a hot stove. What do we say to our children? Don't touch the stove when it's hot. Why? Because you'll get burned. What happens? You could do damage. You could do nerve damage. You might need plastic surgery. Uh, you, you could do a lot of damage. You've got to keep your hand away from the hot stove. Why do we do that? Because we want to keep our kids out of harm's way. Why? Because we don't want them to suffer unnecessary pain, unnecessary heartache in their life. And so we set up protective barriers and boundaries for them, just like God sets up some protective barriers and boundaries for us because he loves us. And these rules, these lines, these boundaries are to keep the behavior from the damaging consequences and the scars and the memories and the things that we'll regret. Ephesians chapter 5, our passage this morning, Ephesians chapter 5. Remember, you can follow along in the app or, or grab the Bible there in front of you, turn it to page 978. It's important that we read the Bible, see what God has to say about these matters in life. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15, is where we're going to be. A little bit of background into the book of Ephesians. It's written to a, to a church and specifically a group of Christians in a town called Ephesus. Ephesus was a very immoral society. In fact, uh, I, I read some uh, people about Ephesus this week that said it was amoral, which means there, were just, there was no moral boundaries or more, no morality at, all, morality at all. And so it's interesting that if you read the book of Ephesians, it starts out with talking about one of my favorite passages is in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, a great way to share your faith with a non-believer. Um, it talks about salvation, and it talks about um, how to leave the old life and go to the new life in Christ. It gives us wonderful illustrations about that. Well, then we get here into chapter 5, and, and the subheading at the top of chapter 5 says walk in love. But here toward the end of that in verse 15, he's actually telling Christians how to do this. How do we walk in love? How do we walk in the guidelines that God has given us? How do we walk and, and save ourselves from heartache and turmoil and, and, and really be closer to God ultimately? By walking in the way he wants us to rather than be farther away and going our own way. And so listen to what it says here, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Okay? He, now he's not saying here, be careful how you walk to the grocery store. Or be careful how you walk to the car in the parking lot today. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about your life's walk, your spiritual walk, the direction of your whole life. He's saying, be careful how you walk. And then he goes on there and he says, not as unwise, but as wise. Not as a foolish person would, making foolish choices and foolish decisions based on foolish information, but be wise. Make good choices with wisdom, thinking through things. 
And then it goes into verse 16. It says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And the days are evil. We can all acknowledge that. And he's saying, make the best use of the time because the time is short. The coming judgment of the Lord is going to be upon us. We need to be ready. We need to make the best use of our time to walk in the ways of the Lord because these days are evil. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. It's another call here. Don't be unwise. Don't be, don't be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. That is the key to the Christian walk. And I want to tell you this morning that 95% of what God's will is is in this word. If you want to know the direction you should go in your life, it's right here. Read the Bible. Do what the Bible says. That is his will for you in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he gives us an illustration. We're going to talk about this and unpack this in a few minutes. In verse 18, it says, and do not get drunk with wine. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. We're going to be talking about that more in just a few minutes. As we're, as we're reading this, we understand that God wants to establish guidelines in our life. And I know that a lot of you are like, yes, you know, I get that. I, maybe I've been a Christian since I was a child, or, or maybe I just became a Christian recently. And my heart's desire is that I want to please God. I actually want to have a relationship with God. I want to be closer to God. And I want a good life while I'm still in this world before I get to go be with God. I would like to enjoy a life in this world as God intended. Because I'm his child, and if I'm going to proclaim him as my heavenly father, my savior, and my lord, my master, then yes, then I need to live life this way. So all of us, I think, are thinking, yes, but how? Yes, but how do we do it? I'm going to give you five things from these uh, verses this morning. The first one is this. He says to watch your step. He says, watch how you walk. You need to watch your step. You need to live carefully. He says, be careful then. It's like he's saying, be careful then how you live. You need to watch your step. I remember we were pulling the pews out of here for a remodel of the sanctuary when we built the staging and did some painting. We did all the lights, did all the technology grades, upgrades in the room. Um, this was in 2012. I remember we had to pull all the pews out because we were doing um, work while we had the uh, li big lifts in here on the ceiling. We were patching and repairing uh, the ceiling and doing some stuff with the lifts and hanging lights and all this. And I remember that we had to pull all the pews so that we could drive those things around. Now, what you don't understand is what you're sitting on right now is actually bolted into concrete in this floor. There's these two little bolts that come out, at least two on each end of the pew. And if you're in one of the, the bigger, longer pews, there might be some supports in the middle. But when you set the pews down, you set them over these bolts that stick up, oh, probably three inches out of the concrete floor that's right under the carpet. The thing is, with this awesome patterned carpet that we have in here, because it is pretty awesome, uh, you can't see those bolts very well. And so it's funny, as we pull the pews and all these bolts are sticking up, you're walking in the room thinking, I have all this space in the room. I mean, there's all this space where we can just go walk around, and then you, you will trip on one of those bolts, and they are very unforgiving. I mean, they're, they're right there, and you just your toe hits it. It does not move. You feel like you broke your toe, and you're going to fall. I remember doing it myself in the back, and then uh, a few guys got a great idea. They said, let's, let's cut some two-by-fours, and let's drill some holes in them and put them over that, just so visually people can see where all these little... You know, screws are everywhere because they're sticking out, and someone's really going to hurt themselves. We're driving these lifts around, you know, trying not to run over the bolts and, and to bend them, you know, and do all this kind of stuff. And so it was pretty crazy, but it was great to have those blocks of wood there because they served as guidelines. They were there to what? To direct and protect us from hurting ourselves, and we needed those parameters. We needed those guidelines there. And we had to watch. You really had to watch carefully 
if those guidelines weren't there, we had to really watch, you know, on a deeper level, what it's saying here is that we need to not live unwise like the wisdom of the world would say. I mean, don't you just hate when you do something stupid and you, and you just pray that people don't know what you did? Have you ever done that? I mean, I've had those, I've known, I can't remember what, but I know in the last couple of weeks I've felt that. You know, you do something really stupid or you say something really stupid and you're thinking, man, I hope no one heard that or I hope no one saw that. And you kind of look around. I, I was at a basketball tournament yesterday with uh, my daughter Abigail. And, and then these, uh, you know, we're watching middle school and high school athletes and uh, play basketball. And some of these kids are amazing. It's amazing what they can do on the court for their age with the basketball. And, but what's so funny is after one of the games, one of these really macho stud guys, I mean, he's a great basketball player. And he's got the look and he's just walking uh, with a duffel bag, he's walking with a friend just down the side of the court, and he tripped. He like literally stumbled, you know, he was like, whoa, and then he went back and looked for it, and there was nothing there, you know? Have you ever done that? It's one of those stupid moments where it's like, I tripped, and I go back, and there's nothing there. So it's like, I tripped on nothing, let me go back and see if I can find it, you know? And he, he just did that. It was so funny because it was like, you know, it, it's, another, it's another example of being, being careful, watching your step. Because you just don't know how you're going to get tripped up in life sometimes. We need to really walk carefully. Verse 16, the next verse there talks about making the most of every opportunity we have. Making the best use of the time that we have. Literally in the Greek there, if you go back to the original language the Bible's written in, it, it literally means to redeem the time. We need to redeem the time. Now if you're older this morning, or even my age, you can understand this morning that what that means is that as we get older, it seems that we want to go back sometimes, don't we? We like to, to go back and to reuse some of the time we, we misspent. Maybe it was walking down a path that we shouldn't have. Maybe we just wasted time on a project. For some of us, it could be relationships. Maybe you wasted uh, time on a relationship that was a waste of time. Maybe it was pursuing some worldly things. You were caught up in a season where you were just so much about things that weren't of God and were of the world. And so you, you kind of get down the road and you kind of realize, you kind of feel like, man, I, I really want to redeem that time. And it says, why do you want to redeem the time? Why, why do you want to use it to its fullest? Why do you want to make the most of every opportunity that you have? And then that next part of that verse in 16 says, because the days are evil. Because we live in dangerous times. In dangerous times, you can't afford to be careless. You can't afford to waste anything. Plus, truly, there's too much at stake here. I mean, couldn't we all agree these are dangerous times, right? Financially, dangerous times. Morally, dangerous times. In our marriages, the world coming after us and against us as Christians, professionally, these days are evil. So we need to watch your step. You need to live carefully. The same thing you need to do is make the most of time and opportunity. Make the most of time and opportunity. Make the most of your opportunities to do what really matters in life so that you can be close to God. Make the most of every opportunity that you have to protect yourself in life because if you will stay within God's guidelines, I promise you, your life will be better than being outside of those lines. Then we get to verse 17. It says, I love the way it says it there. Therefore, do not be foolish. I mean, it's pretty straight up. You know, don't be a fool. But understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, it's like face up to it. Quit deceiving yourself. Most of us, if I, if I asked you, you know, do you know right from wrong? Do you know good from evil? Most of you could say yes. You already know that. You already know basically what's right from wrong, basically what's good and what's evil. 
You already know what God would want you to do in most of your circumstances. The question is, why are we then always on the edge of disaster? If God gives us a guideline, why are we always with our toes on the edge? Your conscience is talking to you. God's Spirit is convicting you. You've already had some, some near misses in your life that you need to pay attention to and learn from your past. Come on, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That's what verse 17 is saying. It's saying to us, you need to do life God's way. Understand what the Lord's will is. Do life God's way. And then he gives us this illustration. And one thing kind of leads, leads to another here. And, and this is one of those times where we could say, yes, but how? Yes, but how? And he gives us this illustration beginning in verse 18 at the very beginning. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. He gives us an example here, and it might make some of us a little uncomfortable if maybe we have had a struggle in our life in this area. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning and say I've had 100% negative experience with alcohol in life. Okay, And, and that's, that's my personal life, like my family life, but also um, in, the, in, in the church and, and in the community. Because what I've dealt with with alcohol is pretty much all negative. I mean, drunk husbands beating their wives and children. Not good. People wrecking their cars and hurting other people or killing other people, taking their life. Not good. People getting arrested, paying fines, getting thrown in jail. These are not happy alcohol stories. People financially draining themselves to, so they can buy more alcohol. It's a financial drain. People that are messing up their lives, they're losing their families, they're losing, losing their relationships, they're losing their marriages because they go to work and they get so beat down all day, their coping mechanism is to come home and down a six-pack every evening. And you're messing up your life. And so, so this, this kind of speaks to me on, on, on two levels. Because of the negative experience with alcohol, but it's also categorically teaching us something too. That we're not supposed to be under the influence of anything else. But God himself and but God's spirit. We're not supposed to be under the influence of anything else. You know, I just don't have any good stories to tell you about alcohol. I mean, I've never had people come to me and it's like, hey, our marriage was on the rocks and... I looked at my wife one day, and I was like, babe, let's start drinking. And so we started drinking together, and our marriage is so much I don't have that story of, you know, my teenage son was rebelling against me, you know, and he, and, and he was just rebelling against our family, and he was making bad grades at school, and he was just giving us this big attitude. And so one night I came home and I said, son, we're going to start drinking together. We started drinking, and our relationship was so much better. I just don't have any stories like that. And so this is one of those things that, you know, I've never had anybody say, hey, someone introduced alcohol into my life and it saved my life and we lived ever after and it was great. Never, never heard that story. So Paul is saying something here that's going to wake us up. He's being pretty honest. But it's, it's like I said, it's on two levels here. It's a, it's, yeah, it's about the wine in that moment is that we're not to be drunk on wine. We're not supposed to be drunk. That's all throughout Scripture. But it's because it leads to bad things in your life that he's saying it here. And he uses this word debauchery. We, we don't use that word very, very often. How many, you, how many of you said debauchery this week? How many of you accused someone of debauchery this week? Okay. But debauchery simply means debauchery is extreme indulgence that leads to a loss of control. Okay. This is not just about alcohol. It'll be about anything in your life, but especially about alcohol. Extreme indulgence that leads to a loss of control. And so... What Paul's saying here to us is, hey, don't be under the influence. Because how does he end it there in 18 in the second part? 
He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with God's Spirit, because this is what he's saying. To reject worldly influence and extreme indulgence. We're to reject worldly influence and extreme indulgence. And this ties into everything that that we've talked about already. What does it say? Watch your step. You need to live carefully. Make the most of your time and opportunity when you're in this world to be close to God. Do life God's way. Know what the will of the Lord is. And then reject the worldly influences and extreme indulgence. Why do they call it a DUI? It stands for driving under the influence of alcohol. What Paul's saying here is I want you to have a DUI, driving under the influence of God. And his spirit. And let that be your guide in life. And nothing else, whether it be alcohol or something else, nothing else in your life would drive you. You would become under its influence except God. And then he says at the end, to be filled with God's spirit. He says at the end there in the second part of 18, be filled with God's spirit. Instead, be filled with the spirit. The issue here is an issue of influence in your life. Because the influences in your life They do what? They make you think a different way. They influence you a different way to different behavior and different decisions that you might might make. And God wants to play that role. He wants to be your heavenly father. He wants to be the one and the only and the loudest voice of influence that you listen to in your life. And he says, if you'll do this and you'll go my way, you'll find out that you'll have an awesome life in Christ. And when you trust him in that area, he will lead you into a wonderful existence and relationship with him. Now, as we close this morning, I don't want you to insult yourself by having these kind of thoughts. So please don't insult yourself by thinking, well, I'll just trust that God will direct and protect me even if I do foolish things, even if I make bad choices. Because I'm here to tell you, the Scripture, the guidelines that He gives us in the Scripture, that is how God protects you. If you say, well, I can still do these things and just pray, I'll get home safe tonight. No. God protects you by saying, don't be under the influence. Don't be under the influence. Don't become drunk on wine. Don't do it. Some of us have this mentality, well, I'm going to partake in this behavior and I'll just be careful. I can be a Christian and I can still do this behavior, do that behavior. I can still have sleepovers and I can still go out and party and do some of this stuff. And I can still steal money at work and I can do these things and and, and I'll just be really careful. And everyone sets out to be careful that I know of. I've never met a person that said, you know what, I I set out to ruin my life and I I did it. I did a really great job of it. No one, no one tells me that. No one says, hey, I, I plan to mess up my life. The fact is, though, that we just don't plan not to. And God has given us guidelines and given us these parameters and giving us these boundaries because it's his way of protecting us and guiding us to the blessed life. That's what everybody wants, right? We want the blessed life. And some of you have been under the influence of worldly things that has led you away from God's plan for your life. It's led you not to uh, a time of joy, but a time of sorrow. And today is the day the Scripture says, what do you need to do if if you're outside the lines? What do you need to do? The Scripture says that you need to repent and turn to God. 
And what it means to repent is that you actually, if you're going one direction, to repent is to turn around and go a different direction. It means literally to change your mind is what it means. If you say we repent, I'm going this way in life, and now I need to turn around and go this way in life. God is calling you to repent, to turn to God. And let's be honest. Some of you really need his direction and protection in your life. I don't know what's going on with everybody in this sanctuary this morning, but I know there's a bunch of you sitting here that are like, yeah, oh man, I need his direction in my life. I need his protection in my life. And this is what I would tell you this morning. Get inside the lines. He gives us his word, and all of these words guide us to the life he wants us to live in Christ Jesus. So if you find yourself outside of his direction, not under his direction, if you find yourself outside of his protection, then I want to invite you to get inside the lines.